Well, welcome to the first of our online services here at Grove Chapel. I'm sure you'll bear with me and with us as we get used to this new way of preaching and ministering to you. Uh, just before we begin, a few, a few notices, a few announcements. Uh, the intention is that we will try to link up at 5.45 tonight uh, using the Zoom app, which uh, you may have on your mobiles or tablets for a time of prayer at 5.45. It had very much been my hope that we could have had one last service here in the chapel before moving to this online ministry. But as you all know, uh, events last week moved at breakneck speed. And by Friday, it was absolutely clear that it was not safe, not wise, not right, Uh, that we should meet here uh, as we normally do. We obviously do not know when we will all be back in the chapel. It could be a matter of many weeks or several months or longer. We will keep monitoring the situation every few weeks. We will not move back into the chapel until we are quite persuaded that we should be back there permanently. But absence from this chapel, from seeing each other's faces, should, we trust, make us all, uh, our hearts all the more fonder for the time when we can be back here again. We are facing circumstances the like of which none of us have ever known. To say that it has taken us all by surprise is an understatement. The whole world has changed, and every one of us has been affected. Life will be very different for us all over the coming weeks. We will be tested and tried in all sorts of ways. Our patience, our humor, our nerve, our relationships. We will all need to be more resourceful, more disciplined, more unselfish, All this is true for people everywhere, throughout this country and across the world. But as God's people, we do more than simply dig deep into the limited resources of our own experience and personality. We understand that God himself has decreed this new state of affairs as he decrees everything that happens This is not some cruel quirk of fate, but part of God's great sovereign plan for this world and for his church. So what should you and I do in these coming months? The simple answer is this. Let us all seek God. Let us all draw near to him. Let us all spend time with him in prayer and in reading his word. We know that God works all things for good. We know, too, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And our prayer is that he will do far, far more than anything we could ask or imagine in the months ahead. Before we turn to God's word, a short word of prayer. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, As we come to you, as we open your word, 
on this new occasion, in this uh, new situation, we pray that wherever we are now, uh, in our homes, uh, looking at our phones or our laptops, that we would now be able to pause and come near to you and ask that you would speak to us powerfully, effectively, through your word and by your spirit to change us and to work your spirit's work in us all. We pray that you would help us to know how we should live and think at a time such as this. Be with us now as your word comes to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read from God's word. We're going to read from the 46th Psalm, Psalm 46, the whole of that Psalm, 11 verses. So I will start in Psalm 46 and verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The first verse of this psalm. God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in trouble. This is a psalm for times of trouble. The word could be translated distress, calamity, anguish. What was the trouble at the time when the psalm was written? Some think it was written at the time of the deliverance of the people of Judah from Sennacherib of Assyria, recorded in 2 Kings chapter 18, in the time of King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, when Judah was severely threatened and about to be destroyed. But at the very last moment, the Lord sent forth uh, the angel of the Lord who destroyed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. It may be true. We can't be sure about that. But we don't need to know the precise context. 
or circumstances in which this psalm was written. Instead, we look at the words of the psalm themselves. What kind of trouble does the psalm envisage? Verses 2 and 3 present a scenario. Look at these words in verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 46. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Is the psalmist describing something that is actually happening around him at the time, or something that his friends have experienced or are about to experience? It hardly seems possible that they've been through anything of this kind. The language speaks of something that is completely cataclysmic and destructive, something way beyond the experience of anyone. He describes a time when the earth gives way. Can there be anything more alarming or disconcerting than the earth under your feet giving way? Maybe you've been out one time walking in the hills or the mountains and a large stone or rock gives way under your feet and rolls down the hillside and that can be quite scary. Or maybe you've been on a one of those cakewalks in a fairground where the floor moves up and down either side and it's very, very hard to keep your balance. Or maybe some of you have been in an actual earthquake where the entire ground underneath you shifts and shakes. I've only ever experienced very minor tremors. I remember over 20 years ago visiting Turkey and there being minor tremors and the room or the house shaking as if a large lorry was driving past. It was nothing at all to worry about. But a big earthquake or a tsunami like the one on Boxing Day 2004 must be one of the most terrifying ordeals anyone can know. When the earth gives way. Now, where are we now today? In this new an extraordinary season in which we are living. People will surely be telling future generations about the coronavirus crisis of 2020, many years from now. We ought not to overstate the case. It is not true that the earth has given way. It is not true that the mountains have been moved into the heart of the sea. My parents-in-law, who live in Bala, North Wales, have not yet informed us that Snowdon or Arenigvaur or Cadaridris have collapsed and fallen into the bottom of the Irish Sea. But neither should we understate the case. Many things have changed, are changing, and will change in ways that we do not yet know. Big changes have already taken place in the way we live our lives. We're all going to have to get used to new constraints and inconveniences. We will not be free in every way as we were just a few days ago to do what we wanted to do when we wanted to do it. 
there may be troubles and difficulties for many of us that are as yet unforeseen. What is more, we do not know how long these new circumstances will last. There may be significant changes in our whole pattern of life which are long-lasting and even permanent. The social, economic, political, cultural landscape of our entire world might be altered in ways beyond recognition. But I would also dare to say this. Along with all the constraints and inconveniences, some of these changes may well in time prove to be for our good, for the good of people around us, for the good of human society. I say this because if we are persuaded, as we should be, of the sovereignty, goodness, wisdom and power of God, because of the testimony of the word of God, we should all understand that nothing happens in heaven above or in earth below without his permission and purpose, according to his own character. So the psalmist says, Therefore we will not fear. Verse 2, Therefore we will not fear. Even though the very worst of scenarios could happen, and the mountains were to fall into the heart of the sea. And we need to do what we should always do when we see the word therefore. We ask, what's it there for? And we always get the answer from the Bible when we see what comes immediately before it. And so we come back to the words of verse 1, which tell us this. God is our refuge and our strength a very present help in trouble. God himself is the refuge of his people. If we were to ask this one question today, why have all these things happened to us as God's people? I'm sure we should give this one answer early on so that we should all know and realize afresh that God and God alone is the refuge of his people. This word refuge means a shelter, a place of safety from trouble and distress. God is the rock which his people hide under in times of trouble. It's at times like this, and maybe you found this as I found this, that God's people turn to his word and his promises with a new longing, with a new interest, with a deeper and more far-sighted vision and begin to see the power, the preciousness, the extent of the meaning of every word that comes from the mouth of God. As I looked this week at Psalm 46, and thought about these very words, I found myself also, my mind wandering over to Psalm 91. And I've noticed something quite seemingly uncanny this week. Wherever I've gone on the internet and looked at what pastors and Christians are writing about and saying, time and again they will turn to these two Psalms, Psalm 46 
and Psalm 91. Brothers and sisters, let me urge you, read those psalms, meditate on those psalms, 46 and 91, over these coming days. It seems the Lord is directing his people to these passages for a purpose. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Psalm 91 just for a few moments, because the words there fill out what it means for God to be a refuge to his people. Notice particularly verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 91. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Now notice that the psalm is not saying that these things won't happen to us, won't affect us, that we will be completely untouched by pestilence or destruction. But what does it say? God's people are delivered from the fear of these things. What does this mean in practice? It means, as commentator Derek Kidner on the Psalms says, It means that as God's children, we should all be assured that nothing can touch us except by our Father's permission. It is quite unbiblical and unrealistic and profoundly cruel to suggest that nothing difficult or painful will ever affect God's people in this life. Yes, you and I will share, are sharing, in some of the hardships, inconveniences, irritations, frustrations, and maybe shortages that will result from coronavirus. Your patience and mine may well be tested to new levels. We are not exempt from these difficulties simply because we are Christians. And yet in the very thick of these difficulties, we can claim and believe in God's fatherly, detailed, protective love. There's a tension here, isn't there? We will experience these things, and yet we will know great peace and comfort and consolation in doing so. That's what we need to get hold of. As we look to the Lord, he will give us his peace and assurance and that understanding of his love. The Lord Jesus himself spoke about that same tension in Luke chapter 21, verses 16 to 18. On the one hand, he says things to his disciples which sound really rather terrifying. He says to them, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But then he goes on to say in the very next verse, but not a hair of your head will perish. We might think that sounds contradictory. What is Jesus saying to us? Well, similarly to the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, we may be exposed to tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. But none of these things can separate a child of God 
from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are far too precious to him. Whatever happens to us, we are under his care. We are not exposed to what is random or accidental or arbitrary. We are not at the mercy of some wild impersonal force. That is why we ought not to fear, even when we are passing through deep waters. None of us can know exactly why the Lord has brought this virus into the world at this time. None of us should dare to say, God has brought coronavirus for this reason, because of that sin, because he wants to judge people for this particular breach of that commandment. None of us can be so bold as to say things like that. But we do need to be convinced that God has brought this state of affairs about for a reason known only to him, and therefore a good reason, a right reason, a wise reason. In the book of the prophet Haggai, the minor prophet Haggai, in chapter 2, verses 6 to 7, we read these words. You may turn to it if you wish. Haggai, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It occurred to me and to others that the minor prophets of the Old Testament, I think, are especially required reading for a time like this. Haggai 2, verse 6, the Lord says, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Might it be that what we are seeing and experiencing now is a very significant shaking across the whole earth? When a strong or even violent shaking takes place, you imagine a great tree that's been there for hundreds of years and you come along and you shake that tree trunk vigorously, what happens? Well, anything that is rotten and withered and decayed will just fall to the ground. But what is firm and strong and healthy will remain and be encouraged to grow all the more. And we, I think, should be praying, brothers and sisters, that the Lord would shake everything up with a godly shaking. It is the shaking of an individual. It is the shaking of families. It's the shaking of communities. It's the shaking of local churches. It's the shaking of cities and nations. But it's more than this. It is the shaking of the whole world. And who can know how things will be when that episode of shaking is done? How might the whole landscape of this world be altered? But did you notice also that promise of Haggai that I read to you a few moments ago? That God, he says, will fill this house with glory. 
Let me share something with you. I think I feel bold enough to prayerfully apply this to this house in which I stand, Grove Chapel, almost empty of its usual worshippers. But at the time of the bicentenary, last November, one weekday evening, I stood in the high pulpit behind me and I looked at the empty pews both downstairs and upstairs in the gallery. And I imagined them full to the brim with the local people of Camberwell wanting to come here and wanting to hear the word of God and feed on it and find life and truth and salvation. And deep down in my own soul, I cried out to the Lord that he would fill this house with hungry souls, all looking for salvation in Jesus Christ, who was crucified for sinners and raised to life, that sinners might find eternal life. At that time, my own vocabulary did not include the word coronavirus. And most probably neither did yours. But might it just be that God planted a desire in my heart that I could share with you today for such a time as this? Might it just be that in this chapel, which has withstood world wars and other calamities, and now will be empty for however long we do not know, but might it just be that some of Grove Chapel's best years may lie in the future, after the shaking that seems to be going on now. But may the Lord fill this whole world with his glory. Would that every church and congregation of God's people might be, after this time is done, refilled and replenished to overflowing with new faces, with new souls, flocking in and asking the question, what must I do to be saved? And hearing the answer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. When all the shaking is done, what remains? You and I need to let go, maybe, of our love for some of those created things that are so temporary, so fallible, so unreliable. What remains when the shaking is over? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Not only the rocks and mountains could fall into the heart of the sea, but our Lord Jesus says, even heaven and earth will pass away. They will. They will roll up like a scroll. They will be gone. But my words, says our Lord Jesus, will never pass away. God is greater than coronavirus. God is greater than all things. And what you and I need to do now, today, is to draw near to him, seek him again, ask that he would revive our hearts, ask him to give us a new love and a sense of our need for him for such a time as this. Please, wherever you are, join with me now again 
in prayer. O Lord our God and Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we pray for our world. We know that the only way we can rightly understand what is happening and the only way that we can gain any comfort from what is happening is to know that you, O Lord, have done this, that you, O Lord, are the author of this, that you, O Lord, will begin and you will end and you will do what you have purposed. O Lord God, we pray for the congregation here at Grove Chapel. We pray that you would keep this virus from the doors of your people. We pray particularly for those who are older, more vulnerable, more likely to be afflicted by this in difficult ways. We pray for your mercy and your grace to be around us all and to keep us all safe. We pray, Lord God, for ourselves in our lives, in our relationships. We pray that we would be kept from being afraid, from fearing anything in this world. May we instead have that holy fear of you as the God who orders everything. Give us, we pray, a new, renewed appetite to come to your word uh, as this time goes by. And Lord our God, we pray for our government as we pray for governments around the world. We ask, O oh Lord God, that you would give to the government a special wisdom to know what ought to be done. We pray particularly, O oh Lord, for the health secretary and for our national health service that O oh Lord God, you would give all the means necessary in terms of finances and resources and facilities and beds and, and ventilators and personnel and volunteers. And O oh Lord God, that you would so order things that if this pandemic continues to rise over the coming weeks, uh, that Lord, there would be provision that is able to save many thousands of lives. O oh Lord our God, help us to be concerned for our nation and for the world at this time. We thank you, O oh Lord, that this has not come as a surprise to you. And may we therefore take comfort in this, that even though the earth would give way as one day this old earth will, it ever remains true that God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in time of trouble. And we come now thanking you that this is true, bringing our prayers in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. <laughs>